Hello friends, welcome back to the Autopod Decepticast for part two of our discussion on the panel at TF Nation last month where Jim Sorensen and Chris McFeely revealed their presentation on Ron Friedman's original 1984 script for the Transformers the movie. We rejoin our heroes of the APDC, Aaron, Caleb, and Ryan, along with Transformers the Movie Stan, Mike Seibert of Mike Seibert Radio, and Alexis Taylor, UK correspondent extraordinaire, with the start of Act 2 of the Transformers TF Nation script extravaganza. Um, a lot longer to tell as well. <laughs> Act sure. two drags a bit for me. Um, on Earth, the Autobots are preparing to pursue the Decepticons in the spaceships Wheeljack is building. At Autobot HQ, massive shields are built and dispatched to Earth's major cities to serve as a defense in case of the attack while they're off planet. Which that goes nowhere because they're immediately destroyed when Galvatron gets there. And I, back to your question around maybe this is a little bit in the future because of the tech around uh, the arc, uh, but. If they can build these shields and ships that quickly, I'm sure they can make their mods to their headquarters. I guess so. As yeah. fast. You can overlay this on the second attack on Autobot City. Basically, that's what this is. Right. Um, Springer smashes Starscream and another random Decepticon together, impaling Starscream, like, impaling one guy onto Starscream, essentially. And he, like... Like a kebab? Yeah, kind of. It's this is I like this part cuz like Chris does some fun voices and he says Starscream says, "I'll boil you and your own electron fuel for this. Come back, unnot me." <laughs> he does do a great Starscream impression. It's not it's way. not as good as yours. Uh, shut up. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a Starscream impression. Sometimes the real Starscream uh, yeah, just yeah, comes yeah. by the show. Right. By uh, Starscream at later calls Galvatron, who basically hangs up on him, and Starscream says, But wait! I'm still interlocked with lesser mechanisms! <laughs> that got a good laugh from the crowd. It's true. And I, this is where I'm saying I, like, I really like Starscream in this one. Like it, but, I mean, he just feels the same as Starscream overall. Overmatch, the Autobots are forced to abandon the headquarters and scatter the four winds. This is where stuff starts to get super complicated, because they split into, like, three groups, I think. Then, yeah, and, and, it, and it, I, I kind of sort of drifted away at this point because, it, again, it, it becomes overly complex. It what's does. going on. Yeah. So Rusty narrowly avoids a party of black Gestapo-like Decepticons searching for fugitives, and they're described as a sweep party, which is basically we what becomes that Scourge in the sweeps. That's informs, why that has that name. Yeah, and this bit was really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> again, the artwork for this made total sense to what we understand of Scourge and the Sweeps, which for me has always been a bit of an enigma. Why did you have sweeps? I think in the uh, original Bob Bidianski, and I'm going to refer to my uh, notes here, of Scourge, uh, a most fearsome and implacable hunter-destroyer created from the wreckage of Decepticons, 
Scourge is leader of The Sweeps, a specially created wolf pack of tracker terminators designed mm-hmm. by Unicron to hunt down and eradicate Autobots and their human allies. Now, this from the Transformers universe for Scourge, and this is the amazing artwork that really makes sense of the idea of what Scourge was, this weird hovercraft. I described them, I think, in a text to you guys at the time, like Borg, with, with, the, yeah. with the red laser sights kind of going, you know, just sort of sweeping and scanning like Terminators. Uh, you know, th- th- that was, it, you, you can imagine that this, it's all gone to nightfall now. And this is just a mountain road with these kind of like, Totally. Kind of really weird alien uh, Decepticons um, just, yes, yeah, sweeping, uh, terminating. Great. Sounds metal as fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. And and it's kind of interesting because, you know, the sweeps just kind of become cannon fodder in season three. Mm-hmm. They really have no personality other than Got to just teeth. be stormtroopers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really dumb. This is cool. And one of the things I, you know, at the pace we're going, I don't know if we're ever going to come back around to this, but like, you know, some of, some of the discourse on Twitter about this panel and these character designs is I hear a lot of folks throwing around, oh, well, this is better. That's better. This would have been better. That's utter nonsense because <laughs> as, as we're finding that this, this material is impenetrable. It's, it's incomprehensible. It's indecipherable. But it is interesting how, like, little bits and nuggets like rails or this, uh, you know, with the, with the mm-hmm. sweeps, there are some really cool ideas here. Yeah. But that, do- that doesn't make it a quote-unquote sure. better move. I agree. I saw that, your, that tweet, Mike, and I completely agree. Like, there's some cool stuff in here, but I don't know. I think they're just going off of the big bananas, and it's like, that's a neat thought experiment, but it yeah. you couldn't do like this is again unfilmable <laughs> yeah this is not a movie no it's done this is where i had the note there is too much going on in act two <laughs> I, this may be reaching a little far but i kind of get uh tolkien-esque sort of nazgul vibes oh. from from this uh the way it's illustrated and the way they talk about the i get i get war of the worlds yeah yeah it's a comment. It's a and I, I, made yeah. a note, I made a note of some of the speech from these sweeps, and it was all about presence detected, destroy, target previously terminated, continue sweep, like Daleks or, or, or something, yeah. mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. You know, um, yeah. I thought that that for me was the coolest part of this uh, sure. of this thing, and, and made perfect sense to what why scourge is scourge and the sweeps are sweeps mm-hmm. in the final cut. Um. Magnus at this point runs some of the Decepticons over, and this is where Friedman gives a script suggestion of for an alt mode, which is a quote a harvester with thresher blades, or quote a gasoline truck with huge battering ram bumpers. Uh, you know, and so he was just throwing out ideas, I guess. And is the idea that Ultra Magnus got this rig when he upgraded? I don't possibly? know because he's not shown in vehicle mode before this. Um, the Autobots escape under cover of a smokescreen by a bot named Kimiko. That's another one that was Everyone kind of a standout, Kimiko right? The panel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which artistically was kind of a a rip from one of Cup's poses, as I recall, mm-hmm. the, the whole driving through the barricades. Yeah. Finish him off, Prime. Do it now. Yeah, that's what Oh, that's from. what it was. That's yeah, you're from. right. You're right. 
A little later, Hot Rod and Tanker locate a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger-like Autobot Springer in the desert and watch as he uses his leaping power to which he's named to take out multiple Decepticons. So, which you never got. You never got in the. You got in the in the comics sometimes, but you never got in the Sumbo cartoon at all. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's called Springer and his tech spec, I think, even says he has springy hind legs, and that's what calls him. Why he's called Springer? It would just look fucking stupid. Yeah. So it was never put in. <laughs> God, that original uh, design, though. What he Good. eats? He eats a lot of pizza. <laughs> he's a th- th- thick boy. Sick. Yeah. Hey, man, representation matters. (laughs) Um, That's where... Okay, so Springer leads the pair of the Autobots to the refinery to recruit more troops. They're attacked by Insecticons and more Decepticons on the way. Um, Help awaits in the form of the Dinobots and the refinery's resident brainiac, Mintlar, who's a large-headed Autobot scientist who turns into a radar truck and has invented an immuno-destabilizer field that cuts the Decepticons off from the entity's power, allowing the Dinobots to send them packing. It felt like the was, crowd reacted to that. Yeah, there was a couple of there's a couple of things to note on here. I think so. The Dinobots, as it is in this script, is only Swoop, right. Grimlock, and Sludge, which may explain to me why Snarl isn't featured in the film. That tiny little bit, but he's never featured. There's just four of them, so there must have been some confusion about how many Dinobots there were or there should be. Well, but th- these three seem completely random. Yeah. Very Swoop was created with Snarl later. Exactly. Yeah. That's what's confusing. Slag's not in it. And Swoop is a member of the like basically the second run of Dinobots. So it's just weird. It's a weird combo. Uh, and it's it's Insecticons that follow them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Insecticons are following them and, and this whatever Mentlar rigs up uh, strips them of the entity's powers and they're easily defeated. But then it, they mentioned in the panel that that's never seen again. So no, this technology <laughs> that could have that could have ended it all was was never never referred. It to. never comes back. No, there's a lot no. of that where nothing comes back. Um, which is why they say it seems like it's just improvised. Like it, it just you just and again it's the first Riff, draft riffing as he goes along. Exactly, <laughs> which is what you sometimes. I mean, every writer has a different process, but a lot of writers do that, where they just write and write. Then your second run through it, you connect points and stuff like that. Um, Mintlar is described as a large Autobot with Alpha Wave-style headgear, a Carl Sagan type, and very intelligent like a super perceptor, essentially. And he has long touching fingers. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what that means? He knows three ways to finger bang. (laughs) Call back. Fucking five years uh, ago. I, I, it just now hit me, I having looked at this uh, several times, the drawing in front of us, uh, that the head sculpt, it, they did take it off of Perceptor, and even the chest uh, looks like an homage to, and maybe even the pelvis here is an homage to it Perceptor. It looks to me a little bit. The head looks to me like a Cylon from the show, the original show. Oh, the, the top part. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I think uh, on, on the second panel, because uh, I've seen this on Twitter, they, they showed a, a, an imagined a vehicle form of him. Yeah, we're looking at it now, uh, like a radar truck. That, mm-hmm. that, and they've drawn it similar to, to, to Cut, like one of those 1970s kind of weird pickup things with a big radar dish on the front mm-hmm. or on the back. So Mintlar and the Dinobots, along with their high-speed advanced scout Blur, who is, uh, the crowd loved this too, a slow-talking Jimmy Stewart sort, <laughs> go on a mission into space. I'm trying to think of a good blur line to do a Jimmy Stewart impression. Where's Decepticons on the tower? Decepticons in the air! 
Pottersville. There's Decepticons <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I don't have your money. Frank has your money. I'm so glad we got John Machita. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The, it it's is weird. John Machita sounds like now. Oh, what's smart. fucking strange? Shots across the bow. What's fucking strange, though, is like... I don't know what is in the water that makes everyone want Blur to talk slow because in Five Faces, in one of the original scripts, Flint talks about wanting to change uh, Blur to whenever he becomes stressed, he starts talking very slowly. To the point where it was filmed. (laughs) Yeah, like to the point where it was, I think it was three, maybe, Five Faces Part Three, where in its film they had to to recut it because his lips are moving really slowly. Fucking strange. That is weird. Anyway. Uh, in the chaos, Daniel and Ellen are forced to board the ship with Rusty, Magnus, Springer, Blur, and Mintlar as it blasts off. Hot Rod, Tanker, and the Deceptic- er, and the Dinobots fly alongside it. Wheeljack, RC, Blaze, and the Autobots continue to fight on Earth. So this is where I'm like, this is too much going on. <laughs> there are too many moving parts. A bunch of other complicated shit happens and doesn't matter. Uh, and we're in space. The Autobots escape the Decepticons, sort of like the escape from Autobot City in the movie. And um, it's huge, apparently, in the script. They, I, this is one of the parts where they actually do skip over a bit of it. Um, they say the same thing in the panel. Galvatron thinks he's killed the Autobots and heads back to Earth. And I think in this part of the panel as well, and they, they've said, I think they said near the end, there was a lot of cutting backwards and forwards. So mm-hmm. we, the, the ship's in space, and then back on Earth, and back to the... the, 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 the. Time to streamline. It'd be like if you just kept going to see what Blaster was up to in the real movie, and he's just chilling. Which you did get in that second draft of the script, right? Yeah, because Blaster had like a resistance cell. Yeah, he's yeah. doing oh, like uh, guerrilla war yeah. and stuff there. Yeah, with, that's like, true. Peters and Windcharger and some other folks. Mm weird um i'll say this the third act for me is kind of even more incoherent um you can understand in terms of the movie which cuts all this fat even though they say on the panel they streamlined it and cut out a ton it's still very overwhelming i don't know if it felt that way to you alex when you were at in the room he was drunk as we know yeah. so uh... <laughs> yeah no it was and, and uh, this is when people start to leave the auditorium um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> no, I'm only I'm only joking, guys. That we're doing it. No, um, it, it was it was incoherent. Um, and you know, when you when you look back at sort of uh, Chris McFeely's sort of tweets on this, it breaks it down. You even see from those tweets, it kind of go here and then there, and and there was there was one part which I, I guess we'll get to where they're in space, and there's they said there's a good number of pages of the script of this space battle, which would have been the space battle we saw with, you know, Cyclonus transform and attack. Mm-hmm. And they dazzled them with flares in this script. And I think Cup said, we're in graded polarities. You know, there's bits of that that are in, but it, apparently it went on for pages. Yeah. Which, uh, this is where he, uh, uh, Chris, uh, in the tweet thread, cuts to Act 3. We open uh, with Hot Rod's group landing on an alien moon. Uh, Rod rescues Tanker from a robot squid. So that's, you know, essentially like Whitney rescues Cup. Uh, Magnus's group makes it to the planet Unicron, but a brainwave tractor beam forces them to crash on a moon. So it's uh, Unicron has moons in this script. Uh, the entity summons Galvatron, who ignores the call. <laughs> <laughs> you left me on red. 
In a variation of the universal greeting scene we all know, Haran, Tanker, and Counter and capture, are captured by the Sharktacons. Um, the Sharktacons have actually also captured Sludge and Swoop and are, like, taking bites out of Swoop, which seems gross. Oh, yeah, kind of uh, chowing down on, on Swoop. And I think uh, I think they said that Sludge is incapacitated mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Um, Rusty and Daniel practice using their exosuits. Ellen refuses to let Daniel go with Rusty, Mintlar, and Blur to explore the moon they've crashed on. Mintlar removes the scale from the moon's surface to study. The entity senses the removal, making him aware the Autobots still live. <laughs> That's just so funny. He does, like, just them being there isn't Do- enough. Isn't enough, yeah. I don't know. Uh, furious that the summons were disobeyed, the entity tortures Galvatron from afar, forcing him to leave Earth for Unicron's moon to wipe the Autobots out. The Autobots on Earth rally and push back against the remaining Recepti- Decepticons. RC and Wheeljack start to get along. And I guess this is where, like... Isn't that nice? <laughs> Isn't that nice? Uh, this, and I forgot about this, but I believe that this is in the script we read, too. Um, where this is where Hot Rod and Tanker meet their fellow captive, a rock named Granix... Um, re, uh, from Lethon, the planet of marble. And I'm pretty sure in the script we read, this is the same thing where it's a gladiatorial style thing with rock creatures yeah. that are, that it Granix. is. And, and that, there's reference to Le- Lethon, rock, rock lords. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, the Quintus- and Lethon was in that script as well. Like the movie did open up with Unicron, attacking Lethone. It was just a different sort of attack. Yeah, they were just rock Crazy mist and all of that stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it was mist. That's right. Uh, The Quintessons throw Granox to the Sharktacons, and it is like basically a gladiatorial fight instead of being um, in a uh, uh, water-filled pit. Which, why? You've got Sharktacons. I don't know. (laughs) It seems like a miss even for a first draft, but they got it right. It's all good. On Unicron's moon, the Autobots set a trap for the approaching Decepticons, setting up cardboard cutouts of themselves to lure the cons into range of an explosive charge. Didn't they have that in the other script as well? They set decoys. It was decoys. Actually, yeah, like, when it was... Perceptor uh, makes, like... Cover, yeah. Yeah, Perceptor has these the suit, a suitcase that has, like, <laughs> basically, um, their... Uh, what, what, is, what are they called? Um, oh, the magic grow things. The little capsules you put in water and they grow into sponges, like of a dinosaur or whatever. It's yeah. like that. He... They... He puts these things on the ground, and then they grow into clones, like basically mindless clones of the Autobots to distract Galvatron while they go hide. Uh, So so for legislation, is that more or less stupid than cardboard cutouts? I like it way better than cardboard cutouts. But there is some like precedent for this, because there is an episode of, I think, season two, where the Autobots (laughs) are setting a trap for the Decepticons, and they're just dressed in lab coats. That's right. <laughs> Robots in disguise. Um, where did they get those coats? <laughs> where did they get those? Our scene was in the background, kind of <laughs> running them up. Also, a seamstress. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, washes yes. dishes. <laughs> um, Maker of sandwiches. Back on the uh, Quintesson planet, uh, Grimlock arrives to flee everybody, um, and uh, Hot Rod forces the lead Quintesson to probe space with his mental powers. This is where the Quintessons are still like spindly characters whose heads can fly off, um, and they have mental powers. And he forces uh, Hot Rod forces him to probe space with his mental powers for the location of Magnus's crew, and then they Hot Rod and his crew leave to go there. On the moon. 
Uh, Magnus's team trips their trap. Rusty tries to help the Autobots fight. Rum- oh, Rumble tries to force Daniel to watch as Dirge kills Ellen, but Daniel masters his ego, ego his exosuit, and saves his mom from the cons. I, I love this bit as well. Because this, this is that callback to the kind of, was it Scavenger that said, human germ? Human germ, yeah. So you've got Dirge uh, instead kind of uh, saying something like, um, prepare for extinction, Earth vermin. Uh, and then having a fight with Ellen and, and Spike, uh, I'll say Spike, Daniel. Uh, and then sadist Rumble <laughs> turns uh, uh, Daniel's head like going, watch! You know, you're too puny yeah. for us, human. It's uh, up. Watch, you know, as your mum's dying. It's pretty horrible. God, yeah. Jesus Christ. Twisted. Uh, and I wonder if there's any relation to that where we, it's like on the real movie where they were saying you have to watch Daniel in a near death experience with his father mm-hmm. in that circumstance. Oh, also, I don't think we noted it up top that the Coneheads are the only That's right. uh, characters from season two that are in this script. So, even at this time, well before most of season one was produced, they knew Coneheads were going to yep. exist. Which is They're obviously on the table somewhere at Hasbro yeah. Corp. Springer, Rusty, Ellen, and Daniel reluctantly leave Magnus, Blur, and Mintlar to battle Galvatron and the other Decepticons. Their escape route leads them through a strange fog bank in a dried-out riverbed-like area where they're confronted by the Junkions, who are an eccentric tribe of road warrior-style robots, and apparently... Rekgar has a Nazi style helmet. I mean, it's a German. It's a World War One German military helmet. So that's not Nazi style. It, it wouldn't. I mean, you wouldn't. To call it Nazi style it, is a little misleading. Yeah, they meant he mentions it as Nazi style in the script. I'm guessing they're oh. going for this uh, Lemmy okay. from Motorhead, yeah. uh, uh, Hell's Angels yeah. kind of yeah. type persona. I got it with that. Okay, so they, he actually. Friedman actually called it a Nazi yes, style. Yeah, okay. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But but the illustrators for this took more of a World War One approach. Is that what we're saying? I'm just, they... I mean, it's it. We don't have to get into the details of that. It, it's got a spike on the top of it. That was. But it does look like a German. Yeah, yeah, that that, that type of helmet was introduced in Army World War One. It, it's it was not a Nazi innovation. But I I get I get it. <laughs> And the one thing that that was with the sweeps as well, I think they was they were mentioned as Gestapo style yeah. Decepticon, black clad Gestapo sure. Decepticon hunters or something like that. Yeah, I mean I get it, Ron Fried, you know, he that was who's the big man of a certain time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if this was all developed in the two thousands for the first time, they would probably be more I don't know, like Middle Eastern oh. garb. And I'm just saying that like <laughs> sure. you're taking from sure. what the pop cultural baddie at the time is. Sure. Also, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones. You know that that whole. Yeah. Sure. You know, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, the 80s had quite a few callbacks to kind of. World I mean, II, if we want to go Star Wars, like, that's all Nazi shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Magnus Blur and Midlar are killed by the Decepticons. Sensing the presence of Optimus Prime's life force, Galvatron cuts Magnus open, removes Prime's matrix, and places it in a bottle like pendant and departs to renegotiate with the entity. Again, the same thing we see in the second script that we talked about. But in this one, I guess Magnus, Blur, and Mintlar are all dead dead. Like, they like don't super come back. dead, yeah. 
Well, and, and it's interesting because th- this was another one of the early tweets that I saw. And I'm like, again, I've seen this already. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, well, you're, you're, you're privileged, like- Mike, to have uh, <laughs> us have walked you through it. <laughs> <laughs> that's you true. and all of but our it- listeners are mm-hmm. definitely privileged. That's well, true. and I bet you that's where like the saw blade <laughs> comes from. That that's probably where uh, James got the idea for this illustration was remembering that there, there's like an actual explicit saw blade that that you know Galvatron uses to cut open Magnus. Mm-hmm. The Junkions take Springer and the humans prisoner, but Hot Rod's group arrives and diffuses the situation with a universal greeting. Ellen decodes a printout of data Retgar provides, revealing the entity's origin. It was created by the Junkion's ancestors. Which is that I've never heard uh-huh, of before. Yeah. So I guess that was... So a- what was created by the Junkions? Unicron. Unicron. Okay. They're Wait. living... The Junkions are on the, live on the moon of Unicron. Right. In secret. I get it. It was supposed to be a universal protector. Yes. The entity was built now, to be a universal to- protector. Yeah. The universe uh, function for Unicron was universal dominator. So did they switch that notion of universal protector to universal dominator? Just a wi- they mentioned universal protector, I think, in the script. Yes. And I read this and it yes. said universal dominator. I mean, they did have a tendency to do the least amount of work to retcon things a little bit. So changing one word. Conservation of energy. Makes sense to me. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. Um, so uh, the Junkions have been living in secret behind a veil of fog to be free from it because the Unicron went evil. Um, it does have a weak spot, but the script is missing a page, so we don't know what it is. A small exhaust port. Yeah, that, it is. <laughs> it does feel very... Yeah. <laughs> Galvatron attempts to break his contract with the entity by threatening to destroy the planet Unicron with a thermal charge. This is also in the script we read. Um, the explosion has no effect, and then the truth is revealed. The entity and the planet Unicron are one and the same being! What? Thanks to the energy of the Earth, the entity now has the power to transform into robot mode and break the orbit it has been trapped in for generations. The tree trunks and grass on the planet's surface are but hairs on the back of its colossal hands. It this is in the script where Gravitron does plant a thermal bomb on Unicron, but in our script we read that's what gives him the energy to transform. But in this mm. one, it's what the energy he's been sucking off of Earth that the Decepticons have been. And also, it. there's a bit of an about face from Galvatron in both the scripts and, and the finished film where he does turn on the oppressor, doesn't he? He's like, "I'm right. I, I, I will." The redemption arc almost mm-hmm. nearly happened in all of the versions with Galvatron. Yep. I think. Which is a kind of Megatron-y thing to do. Well, yeah, he doesn't want anybody to... I don't know if it's redemption as much as he just just, doesn't want people to control him. Yeah, it's completely selfish. Like, he just just wants it all. If I can't have it, no one can. The entity heads for Earth to finish devouring it. The Dinobots and Junkion... Uh, Junkion strafe him while the others venture inside his body. Springer and Tanker battle his immune system of metallic leeches, and Hot Rod and the humans head for the weak spot at his core. Metallic leeches, which we see in the Return of Optimus Prime Season 3. Oh. I don't I remember that. I forgot about that. that. I, they dropped the, from they, the cave ceiling were, or something? They, they, yeah. <sighs> We'll get to that. I thought again, it's mid weird, tw- next year, it's weird twenty twenty five. I think at this point, with our schedule, we're scheduled. We're about a 
a year out from ending season. Again, it's season it's weird callbacks like that. Yeah, where I'm like, what kind of access does the do the writers have to stuff like this? There weren't. You, you they do, didn't have computers kind of for the most part, so there wasn't a database of things for them to refer. They maybe had a library that they had to I go. I don't know. To. Yeah, yeah. Either it was kind of some kind of psychic resonance where they all came up yeah, with this stuff. Could be. Or there were some of these treatments. You know, look, there's scripts lying around in Flint Billy's garage or whatever. Yeah. Maybe there were just scripts like this lying around, and they just kind of think, yeah. Oh yeah, I could, I could extract some of that. Yeah. I think we see again. In, in is it Ultra Magnus's birthday? Is that an episode coming up? Where again um, they go to somewhere and there's leeches or something that, hmm. yeah, there's something like this. So it comes back a few the, the light poles, little yeah. creatures or little those bats. things in Megatron's chest in the where they all get drunk. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. The thing it, as well. it probably is just things that like you take bits and pieces of stuff you've like read and you're doing a new treatment on it and it just kind of morphs and yeah. survives and yeah. like. Yeah, and may, yeah, just maybe efficiency. When I mean, this is a production line of writing, so mm-hmm. take this thing, take what's good, and make it optimize it for. Into or something to else. new writers, maybe they just sort of said, "Well, you know, if you if you come in cold to Transformers, you get the Bible." Yeah, and then they say they chuck in a few scripts or whatever like around. So, well, here's some things to get the gist of what yeah. where we're going and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting because yeah. I think this is. Also in Flint's book, but I know we talked about it. I believe whenever we interviewed him, but he talks about how like there were scripts for the original for the show where they'd have a writer come in who you know knew about the show in general, but wouldn't understand certain points. Like there was one script that I think he fell out that he had to fill in a script of his own because the writer thought that the Transformers could transform into anything. Like they could just decide to be a different form. So yeah, he wrote a whole episode based on that. No, I think it was just because they had to have an episode in production, so he turned one out in like a couple of days, and I think that may have been what became um, Prime Target. Okay. But he talks about scripts falling out, which means for whatever reason, either the writer didn't deliver on time or there was an issue with it, it's, so somebody else had to throw a script in there. It's bound to happen. I'm surprised it wouldn't happen more often, honestly. Uh, Why would I not be honest about that? (laughs) (laughs) Reaching the opening to the core, they find it is too small for any explosive. Hot Rod senses the weapon they need. The group returns to the surface to recover Optimus's Matrix from Galvatron. He refuses and tries to destroy himself and the Matrix, which is a weird move. Strange turn. I don't know why Peace he out, would do bitches. that. Why if wouldn't I, he just give it to? If him? I like, can't have it, no one. I can. guess, but he can't do anything with it. Like, it's but useless. then again, neither can they. So, but doesn't weird... he want to destroy Unicron? It's a weird choice. Yes, we're debating the plot point. That's true. Crazy we're so thing. close. It's true. To the end. <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. As we do once in a while. I guess keep it moving. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Ellen, sure. Ellen, finally getting the hang of her exosuit, surprises everyone by kung-fuing the Decepticon leader into submission. Matrix in hand, the team return to the core once more, where Daniel, the only one small enough to fit into the opening, climbs in and opens the Matrix. Optimus's life force destroys the entity from within, and Galvatron is sent hurtling off into space on a piece of debris. So I guess that answers the question. I mean, we don't need the missing page to understand. Yeah, the, it's just the, the weakness core. is the core, yeah. of, uh, and that's if you can unleash some sort of power there, then boom. Send or, Luke Skywalker in, yeah. and in an impossible thing, and the weakest will defeat the biggest. 
Yeah. Or the Junkion yeah. said that the Autobot Matrix, which they somehow knew about, was his weakness as well. I mean, it could be any of those things, I guess. But So, yeah, in this one, uh, we get no Rodimus. Hot Rod takes charge of the Autobots and orders them to evacuate the Entity's body, and our heroes trans- uh, triumphantly return to the healed, restored Earth for a victory ceremony at the new Autobot headquarters. Guess they don't give a shit about their planet not existing anymore. The end. Credits. Well, <laughs> wow. We did it. I mean, to be fair, Cybertron was kind of fucked up. Like, even, like, first... So, like, if this script was written after Heavy Metal War, then, yeah, Cybertron is shown to be... Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's why they leave to go to towards the Earth to begin with, to get more energy. So, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, well, sorry. R.I.P. Yeah. I don't there's know. No, there's no transformation into Hot Rod, into Rodimus here. It's no. just Hot Rod saying... To Earth. Yeah. No. Yeah. Hot Rod isn't even. Would you consider him even like a. Do we even know that he's the leader? Character? No, there's no leader. Like, basically, at this point, I mean, yeah, Ultra Magnus is dead. Uh, there's They're rudderless. And and who opens the Matrix? Is Daniel. it Daniel? Daniel's the leader. <laughs> there it is. That's what it was always Daniel about. for Destroyer. D is for Destroyer. D is for Destroyer. <laughs> so, what, so, like, I'm just curious, just some summation, like, final thoughts on, on this. Um, uh, just any thoughts you had. Uh, let's I've, go. I've, with, got, yeah, a, Alex, I've got a go. couple. Yeah. And, and this is it's sort of going back to kind of killing characters and everything. And one thought I had was this happened so early in the original run. They get rid of Megatron. And they get rid of Prime. So did Hasbro say, well, Megatron's a gun. It's pretty goofy. You know, we rushed these toys out. We sort of said, well, guns are bad, so make him the leader. Uh, some planes, they'll be there. And the cars are kind of the good guys. There was this decision, obviously, from this, I would assume, that they said, right, we need new characters. Our own IP, I don't know, Hasbro rather than Takara. We're reusing all this Diaclone stuff. Do we need to make our own here? But, you know, that, that idea that they, they were killing off Optimus Prime before even the, the toys were pretty much out on the shelves. It's... And Megatron as well. And turning him into an ultra Megatron, a superpowered Megatron, mm-hmm. it's... will get rid of that mold straight away. So that was my one sort of takeaway from this in terms of the toys, bearing in mind the reason for all this stuff is to shift units in multiple territories. The idea that you kill off the, the, the main two hero characters straight away interesting and turn them into something else yet keep some of the other characters around Mm -hmm. like starscream or whatever that that's a flame they can shift i don't know that was really interesting uh for me uh, as a as a takeaway point uh we didn't have wheelie in here oh uh, i didn't even notice that the dinobots (laughs) the dinobots um befriended a called scrappo Mm -hmm. uh i think it was mentioned at the panel that maybe he was a wheelie character uh, and there was something actually going back. I've just remembered it now that at the Mentlar initial point we saw him and we saw the Dinobots with Mentlar and Blur. There was a, a load of, of text about Grimlock having problem with the word strategy. It was strategy. Oh, or, yeah. Uh, but then in the final film at the Battle of Unicron, Grimlock does say, Grimlock needs new strategy. Yep. That's so it, huh. just that word strategy, I, I wonder if that was, again, a little thread that was carried That's forward. Or maybe I'm just retconning this in my own head, Cannon. <laughs> but there was an interesting thing there. I, I'm kind of thinking too deeply on this. No, no, that's why we're uh, here. So that was my, my main beat uh, of this. And, yeah, it, it just goes on to the timing of, of this. But the whole thing for me, 
listening to the script, it just felt really abject. It, it didn't feel like a Transformers film. It did a, a cartoon, a, a Transformers episode. It felt like it was Battle of the Planets or, or, or some other generic science fiction mm-hmm. story threads running through it mm-hmm. where the Transformers didn't really use their transformation power. It wasn't mm-hmm. really robots in disguise. They were just Star Wars-like characters mm-hmm. in very reductive, binary, hero-villain modes. Um, I'm glad we didn't get this. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, Mike, um, on that... Uh, just uh, Sorry to cut you off, Alex. Just I was going to no, say, no, no. to your point, Mike, about that, of like that tying into... People saying, oh, this would have been awesome. I think that they're putting it in the mindset of they know what the movie is. And like, here's a bunch of banana stuff that could have been in the movie. But you don't I don't think you know that you don't want that. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Um, I I think that I think that's fair. Uh, Go ahead, Caleb. I'm so sorry. I was going to say I need to go back to Friedman's book because his book is called I Killed Optimus Prime. And I need to see if what he says about the decisions that were put in place for killing Optimus Prime in context now that we have seen this first draft and when the first draft came out. Uh, I've got to just, just as a quick aside, I need, I'd be interesting to see how what he says in his book stacks up now that this first draft is out. I would love for you to read it and tell me what it says. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's all I was going to say. If Rod, if if Friedman ever uh, decided to listen to this podcast after we interviewed with him, I I, I wonder what he thinks of us right now. (laughs) Yeah. Let me throw some kerosene on on that uh, on not just that, but also though, and I, I missed my opportunity to bring this up earlier when I was kind of talking about some of my more, I guess I don't know, hot takes or what. My my uh, my viewpoint on Ron Friedman is is perhaps a little provocative or whatever, but I wonder, has he actually seen the movie? There is a part of me that thinks that he might not have. I I don't think he where... has. I I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah, that that was that was just a a weird thought that just kind of uh, uh, crossed my mind here. But to uh, Caleb's point, and and kind of when we were talking about like takeaways here, one of my bigger takeaways is how much of the finished film is kind of mm-hmm. in here how the, how there is like mm-hmm. little bits of dna and little veg, uh, uh, you know little pieces that that we would know and one of the common themes is that optimus prime dies mm-hmm. so so that was there from jump so like we're already saying i wonder if hasbro was already in ron friedman's ear saying like hey if we do a feature this is what we want to do um I mean, I so, assume yeah, if I just, anything, I, we can know that that was a direct order because Ron Friedman is on the record as he saying says, he thought yeah. it was a bad idea. That's what he uh, says. And honestly, I, I don't disagree with him, particularly that early in the run, right? Like, I mean, they're writing it's this the thing. It's the earliness of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I guess as, I don't know, as a person that is a new product innovator, I know that the timeline for these things can take a long time between inception and you know, delivery of a manufactured product. And so they're just thinking three years out, we're going to have to kill this thing. So let's get started on it. And that's what I, it, I don't know. It's really tough because we know that there's 
at the time they're writing this, there's still a whole lot of Diaclone toys in the pipeline and, that they can easily take and repackage in, a, in and the And I made a note US here about, about, you know, there's, there's people they could have killed off if it was licensing. So Jetfire was being established in the original TV at the moment. They could have made an example of him to sort of say, look, we can't use this. It's a Bandai figure. Boom, out. Kill that guy. Kill Shockwave. That was a toy box, toy co figure or whatever. And they, they could have made those, they could have used this as a vehicle at this stage to kill off some of those, you know, they, they bought up everything, didn't they? So that Bandai didn't get it, you know, so yeah. they bought all these weird things and they could have used this as an opportunity to sort of say, okay, we'll make Jetfire kind of like a hero and we'll kill him off uh, because we don't really own the rights. That's a bit murky. Mm -hmm. uh, and they could have done that, but they didn't. And and you mentioned, I think, in, in the last episode about the jump starters, you know, never appearing in, in the film. Uh, in in the in the original um, Transformers cartoon, because there were, they, I don't think they could find that there were character models drawn of them by Flora Deary, but they couldn't quite work them in because they were so odd to what was going on there. You wonder why they didn't have property that, if you think about the lead time on this, the 1985 characters coming out would have already been the packaging would have been created for that, mm -hmm. the bios would have been created for that. They would have had that there. We had Dirge and Ramjet and Thrust that were named in this. Right. So there was already a lot of product laid on some Hasbro table that they could have thrown into this film to kill off or not that they didn't do. So there's some really odd choices, bearing in mind this is an elongated advert to sell some toys. Yeah. Strange. Really strange. Yeah, not to mention uh, Omega Supreme, Astro Train, Blitzwing, all of those Diaclone toys. I mean, honestly, the list goes on. Anybody from Season 2, they knew was in the pipeline. So it's interesting... Right. That that they didn't draw from that and created all these original characters at this point in time, unless they're just thinking that far ahead. Like, no, those guys are covered. We've got a cover for when we run out of those molds. You know? Yeah, that's true because like, there's no timeline for when this feature film would be eventually developed. So maybe it's like, hey, Ron Friedman, uh, bang out a spec over the weekend just so that we we're already kind of getting the gears turning. We don't know exactly what we're looking to sell. We're not exactly mm -hmm. knowing what we're looking to, uh, uh, to create. Um, but just be thinking about it. And so right. maybe in his writer's mind palace, this is, this is what uh, came up. Um, one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, and this survives through Ron Friedman's other drafts, blur always dies. Did he die? In the, um, I and I remember the second draft. Did he die in the I second draft? I can't remember. I can't recall. Yeah, because like because we he, he died. Well, because like um, when <laughs> Unicron turned into robot mode, he he like he like smashes That's some robots right. against his chest, That's and, right. and Blur is one of them. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that th this character went from being doomed to being like, well, no, this is toy that we need to make and need to sell it's what if we put him in all of the episodes of five faces <laughs> <laughs> and too many episodes of season three from a business perspective why would you kill off your new robots so quickly also they're not going to sell as well yeah. if you killed them in the movie i wonder what point and, and maybe this has been discussed before but at what point flora deary came in and kind of made from these treatments made the characters off the back of that, which later became toys. And that's the one bit about that opening scene with the reflector crab robot. The, you know, mm -hmm. that would have made a cool toy, but I think one thing they said in the panel, I think it was Jim Sorensen that said, anything that would have been in these scripts, Hasbro would have been sort of honor bound to kind of develop with Takara into True. a saleable product. 
you know, so the, the crab bots would have had to have been made and designed. And, and, I, and again, it, you know, I take a very functional look at this and sort of think, because these were the vehicle to sell toys, it's interesting that Blur in a treatment made its way into a figure, Hot Rod in a treatment made its way into a figure, and the sweeps. Uh, no mention of Cyclonus in this, mm-hmm. um, but you know that there's that that was a, that was a preoccupation for the whole re, the raison d'etre behind this thing mm-hmm. was to shift product. Mm-hmm. And I think that that yeah. probably points to. I don't want to say the lack of seriousness, that's not the, but I guess the earliness of this draft, they weren't committing resources to art and design at this point connected to this right. draft. So it probably wasn't until draft two when we started to get more firm accounting of the characters that they were like, okay, now let's get some artists behind this to help start visualizing it. Yeah. Um, so my final thoughts I just had on the script. Um, so I thought, the very early, very easy dispatching of Cybertron really sticks out that I think was a mistake, and I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, and and focusing on Earth, I didn't really care for that. And that kind of harkens back to... Well, it, it dovetails with our, my next point, which is the human characters in this draft are just too much. Um, like, they don't... They simultaneously, for me, don't add any value, but do everything critical. Like... Basically, they save the day. Right. Like, Daniel opens the Matrix. (laughs) Uh, Ellen is the one who dispatches Galvatron. And, like, why not give that to an Autobot to do, which is ultimately what they do. And it's much stronger storytelling. So I don't understand why the writers got so bogged down in thinking we need these human characters. Um, And why you wouldn't make them, like, what they eventually did, which was Spike and Daniel and... and Well, I guess... Which is... is the general trope of a lot of these things making the human character central for kids to identify yeah. i could be daniel i could be that my mum could be ellen or whatever that he was thinking there i can see i can see the, the final film we didn't get yeah yeah, yeah i i and that's one thing i had a, a note i think it was like in the middle of our run on auto uh, autobot city <laughs> the middle of our talk about transformers the movie when we were reviewing it i didn't identify with daniel I identify with Hot Rod. Of course you did. Because he was cool. He was the Jesse character. <laughs> Mr. Cool. <laughs> have mercy. I think it's... But, I mean, to have the kids save the day is a pretty easy go-to. But they, still, but they also still gave him that. He still saved his dad. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Even if he would have character. saved the day, I would not have identified with Daniel. Like, Fair. I just Which didn't is, care yeah. about the... I, I didn't... I barely care about Spike. I, no, I understand because in, in, when I'm when I'm doing the imagination, I want to be the robot. I don't want to be the kid. But I'm already that. Say, <laughs> I'm already there. I want to. <laughs> I want to be something else. Yeah. So I I can see where they. I'm glad that they made that pivot. I mean, Beast Wars has no human characters, and it's great. That's gonna be. Well, fun. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly, that's all I had. Those were just my 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 main points on the on the on the script. I, I, t- I guess to me, uh, the main thing about this is just really I, as an event that, or as a moment in sort of the Transformers uh, legacy, 
I don't even know that this is a thing we knew existed or knew would ever come out. And now that it is out, it's mm-hmm. it's a, you know it's a big deal of the moment. And I wonder how many of these sort of lost things. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like you've still you've still got Secret of Cybertron floating out there, and we can have a conversation like this mm-hmm. once and if that ever gets revealed. But how many artifacts? Are there still to be, uh, you know, mined up that well, and, can spur these kinds of conversations? Not only that, how many just don't exist because nobody at the time cared to keep right. them like around? It's the same thing to like movies before like the 1930s. They just don't exist because nobody thought it was in the, it was interesting or important to keep around. Right. Um, like you said, I think you said, Alex, uh, like this is something that we we're still discovering things about G1, and that's really weird and interesting. <laughs> and and kind of and and kind of special too, you know. I mean that that's a special thing that like you know, like I said at the top, you know, thirty six years later, we're still discovering things about this movie, and there's still stuff yet to be discovered. And I, I saw some of the amidst some of the Twitter discourse. I think we as Transformers fans also take for granted what did the ghost of the iconic moment show up back <laughs> yeah. something just happened <laughs> that was that's legit scary too bad we're doing a video and nobody knows what we're talking about My house um, is home safe, so, it's, it's, so you live in a legit haunted house that's amazing yeah. uh but no what, what i was going to say is like you know it, it, it's amazing how we take for granted how well chronicled the stuff that we have already is because of folks like Jim Sorensen and Chris mm-hmm. McFeely and, and you know, every, everybody that, that contributes to, to TF wiki and all that. Uh, do you think like uh, our friends in my little pony fandom have was, it? Same thing. I was going to say the same thing. And I think this is something that I mentioned to a few of you guys uh, before this kind of transformers occupies a really strange cultural bubble that you don't necessarily, I think you don't get in My Little Pony and, you know, and, and other franchises that has led to third party toys. You know, you've got your established kind of Star Wars and Star Trek, but do you get that amount of strange fandom as you do Transformers? You didn't get with GoBots. Right. I mean, there are people that love GoBots, and there was a GoBots film, there was a GoBots TV series, and everything else. But, you know, have we got podcasts of people dissecting? Robots in the same way. What, what is it? Is it because the the, the writing and the animation and the Possibly. toys and the play value came together in such a unique apex that, that this this stuff probably is out there for other franchises, but no one's cared to do a Jim and Chris yeah. digging on this because I, Simon isn't that Simon Letch made a comment. He's the he's the guy that is into co- collecting scripts not only for Transformers but also GI Joe and some other cartoons and he says that the amount of Transformers material is vastly outweighs the other cartoons yeah. and he makes a point to say that there's a much greater interest. Well, I would say and to some extent it's starting to get more love now but like um even well, like He-Man and G.I. Joe, while they are love properties, and like G.I. Joe's getting a lot more love now and stuff too, but I still don't think it's to the level like there's not as much stuff and lore as yeah. there is for Transformers. I don't know why necessarily, but, well, He-Man didn't last that long, but like we're still we're starting to get stuff from them, but it's still not, it does, doesn't seem like there's as much saturation. I don't know. Yeah. I'm also thinking through... Uh, 
I, it's always awkward to get into a gender dynamic because I don't know what I'm talking about. But when I think of from the 80s toy perspective and just culturally, it's weird that all these properties that are these pop culture juggernauts, what be it comic book, Marvel, Transformers, whatever, are all centered around toys mm. that were marketed to males. There's no... Like there, there's no My Little Pony stuff, like stuff that was, I, and maybe is it a partially that culturally women grow out of toys and let go of that kind of nostalgia in a way that for whatever reason we're conditioned to, uh, to hold on to it in a way. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. That's, that's just a weird dynamic. Cause just, you don't see with female directed toys and part of that could just be patriarchy, but you don't see that with you know, my little yeah, pony it, or Care Bear or whatever. I don't know that I, this is, I don't know if it was purely cynical, but we got a gem movie, but it was fucking awful. Um, but like Jim, the TV show, I would, I've watched it recently and I'm like, this is far superior to the Transformers show. Like it's yeah. good. It was cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and I wonder, and I, I, you know, like Aaron, I have to be uh, uh, cautious when wading into uh, gender dynamics, but I, I do wonder if, uh, cause I mean, I'm sure we've all had conversations with our respective partners about how we engage with this stuff, like specifically like, you know, transformers, nostalgia and, and the connection of it. Um, and you know, I, I've had some, I've had some conversations with my wife and, you know, I, I think sometimes she, is doesn't necessarily engage with nostalgia the same way that I do. And she, and, and the way she breaks it down for me that, that makes me understand is like, well, I I'm nostalgic for connections with people. Mm. I don't necessarily have connections to stuff. Um, mm. Whereas like, you know, she, she is, is sometimes even uh, challenged to name what her favorite movie is. You know, I, I don't know if she has a favorite movie or a favorite TV show. You know, it's just, it's just entertainment that just kind of, you know, it's something you engage in, but not necessarily something that you imprint on and connect to. Mm -hmm. And, and again, sticking my neck out here. I don't know if it's a guy thing. I don't know if it's an older guy thing, like our particular generation, but, th but that's kind of some of the dynamic oh. that I run into to in, in my particular household. I, I think it's, it's we social all conditioning. All female listeners and Patreon uh, followers yeah, yeah. getting in touch. Well, uh, it, I would also wonder like if it, there's something like uh, there is obviously there is a social dynamic but like it's not like one of our uh, followers on Twitter talked about how um, she had to make a deal with her mother to go see the Transformers movie and the trade-off was she would never bring up Transformers again. Oh, Jesus. And, like, so I think some of it may have just been it's not valued for little girls to be interested in stuff outside of, like, at some at some portion of, like, outside of, like, well, that's not really what girls do. Well, right. Your job is to learn how to have children and take care right. of a family. To some extent. Right. You know, like, again, it's it, I think it is social conditioning. But mm -hmm. um, it, which also mm -hmm. just and I know we're probably way off topic, but it just is interesting to come back to the modern day and think about the diversity of the Transformers yes. audience yeah. today. Exactly. Now, the female mm -hmm. audience is probably 25 percent, if not more, if for not the, more. the current uh, media mm -hmm. yeah. and, and creative that comes out. And so, and and so, so much and so, so much be. and good for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. 
Well, and, and so much material, contemporary material is, is arguably quote unquote for them. You know, it's for everybody. And, and I, I, I think that's great. And here we go. It's the five white guys talking about <laughs> yeah. stuff. We there, can't, there's we always can't an asterisk identify. where it's like, we don't necessarily know. It's all that's like, there's nothing wrong with talking about exactly. Yeah. So in the real world. Uh, so I didn't have a proper real world for this one. So basically, we're just talking about um, some information about our man, Ron Friedman. Uh, like I said, he's just turned 90 years old on August 1st. Happy birthday, Jesus. That's He looks less pretty great and is pretty there for 90. I... And I'm like... Um, so he, he and Mr. Friedman attended Carnegie Mellon University, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in architecture. I recall him saying that I brought because I brought up uh, when we when uh, Mike and I interviewed him, uh, his original Betty Boop cartoon. There was a lot of really cool architecture backgrounds and things that he did from like, I don't know, he personally, but he would take credit for design, like helping design the backgrounds. And there was a, just a lot of really cool architectural drawings that were done in that, which in that piece kind of <clears throat> makes sense as to why he was so specific about the architecture of the Hall of Heroes. Sure. Yeah. Um, Friedman has written more than 700 hours of live episodes for television, including The Andy Griffith Show, Bewitched, Gilligan's Island, All in the Family, The Odd Couple, Happy Days, and That's My Mama, which was something I was not familiar with. I looked it up. That last was a short-lived mid-70s show about an African-American barber in Washington, D.C., who had a mother that wanted him to settle down with a nice wife. I'm just... That's my mama. Loving picturing uh, Friedman as the white guy in the writing room. Obviously, oh, I think he's written something like also 42 feature films. It's pretty crazy. Like, he's had a, a wild career. Um, obviously, he worked on G.I. Joe and Transformers in animation, as well as the Stan Lee on numerous Marvel animation projects, including Iron Man and the Marvel Action Error. Error. Marvel Action Hour. I love this. He won't let you forget that he is best buddies with Stanley. He does like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and Marvel Action Hour. That That's like mm -hmm. the first thing out of his mouth after Transformers. He's like, and I invented the Marvel Action Honestly, Hour. Honestly, they it's are like, cut from the same cloth. Like absolutely. When you hear them in interviews, they, they have some similar oddball well, uh, attributes. And we mentioned this a bit earlier. The second thing out of his mouth will be a story. <laughs> where Friedman was featured twice on Gilbert Godfrey's audio podcast and on Mark uh, Evanier? I don't know that video podcast. Anyway, in September, cementing his reputation as one of the industry's most compelling raconteurs. His anecdote told to Godfrey on their first podcast is about Lucille Ball telling him about her then-husband Desi Arnaz pulling a gun on Orson Welles and threatening to kill him if he did not deliver a long-promised script for The Fountain of Youth in 1956. This remains particularly astonishing. <laughs> it's a great story, but I, I was getting uh, really itchy when he told that story at TFCon Toronto in a panel room full of children. <laughs> <laughs> you can't put a leash on that dog. <laughs> Or you can. It's just going to constantly pull away from you and try to attack a squirrel. Uh, I think I'm just describing my dog, actually. <laughs> That's it. That's all I had. Well, I guess, uh, you know, in, in typical episodes at this point, we would rate the scheme. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even know how you do that in this circumstance. Uh, but well, do we rate shot. Ron Friedman's scheme? Maybe Ron Friedman's <laughs> <No>. scheme. <laughs> In that case, I'd give it a, I'd give it a ten. <laughs> ten out of ten. I, 
I don't know. Wouldn't change a thing. Okay, yeah, there is a scheme. The, 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 the schemes that came through into the final movie, so that bit, the bits that were there in the final movie, you can break those schemes because they went through to the end. Yeah, yeah. The rest of it is just Ron Friedman making money as a day job, yeah. writing a load of... It's true. Like, like you said, Mike, the movie cuts all the fat. Like it takes the stuff like basically in like in this original script, you basically have the attack on Autobot City. You have the second attack on Autobot City. And then you have like you meet the Junkions and then you have the attack on on Unicron. And that all goes through. It's just they take the best of it, which is what you should do. Ron Friedman from this invented Unicron. And yeah. Unicron has transcended now all types of media. You know, we've got toys of him now and everything else. So mm-hmm. for me, the scheme is the idea of a Unicron that is bigger than the Transformers. So right. from that point, it's a 10 out of 10 for the for the entity. Yeah. Beyond but good, beyond evil. Too. The, you know, and we do make fun of Ron Friedman a lot on this show, but... We and Flint Dilly said this when we had the opportunity to interview, and we have to remember that as wacky as all of this is, that was the job. That was the job to do was to get some shit on paper, and with the full knowledge, I assume that from Ron Friedman's perspective, that it would be refined. Yeah, there would be drafts, and uh, and it was just going to change over time. So it's easy to mock this, but I'm positive that it pick your favorite movie and find the original script of it. And yeah. you're going to find anything like problematic elements, whether from a, whatever it is, like just, just general wackiness back to the future refrigerator. <laughs> right. Um, yep. All right. Well, great. Hey, why don't we do some plugs? Uh, Mike, what would you like to shout out? Oh, just a, uh, you know, if you like, this um <laughs> and, and you like listening to me uh listen to my my show uh, the mike cyber radio podcast and again coming up after this episode of apdc head on over to my show and uh check out my upcoming or at in the past in the future in the present uh my interview with jim Sorensen, where i'm going to kind of get into the story of how this entire panel presentation came to be you know like going through flint's garage and finding the script and kind of kind of getting into the minutiae of that kind of like i i guess i'm calling it uh beyond beyond wild your your wildest imagination uh so that's uh that's going to be available the day after this podcast drops so if you're listening on a sunday uh check out my show on monday or go to my live stream where it's uh, or my YouTube page where it's it's already happened, but hasn't happened for me yet at this moment <laughs> in present time because I'm a multidimensional. Me- we are in the multiverse of madness. It's very crazy. Uh, but if you want to keep up with my shenanigans, you can follow me on all the social medias. I'm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, pretty active on equally. Uh, so uh, uh, that's all at Mike Cyber Radio. And the spelling on that is S-E-I-B-E-R-T, just the way that it sounds. And, uh, you know, it's always great kicking it with you guys. Uh, Aaron, Ryan, Caleb, thank you for having me. And Alex, it was great meeting you. It was great kicking it with you. Uh, we uh, we definitely got to do something like this again, because this was an absolute blast. Yeah, it was a, a whole sure lot was. of fun. Hey, Alexis, what would you like to pump up? <laughs> Uh, I've got nothing really. <laughs> I'm just I'm just here for the cheer, here for the uh, snake bite and blood. Uh, no, what I want 
I will say is, uh, and it is a, a bit of a shout out again to, I wouldn't have been at this TFCon if I hadn't I got a lift up there uh, with uh, Catch, uh, who has a YouTube channel, uh, Mauricio Cafiero, and I'll send you the link to that, mm -hmm. uh, where he does some absolutely fantastic stop motion um, Transformers episodes on there. So I will, uh, that's my shout out. Cool. And Check if you want to see somebody being an asshole in the Greek islands. <laughs> an asshole. I don't know why I said okay. that. Just because wow. you're there. Triggering. That's why you're the asshole. Yeah. I did I did think of this. I was talking to West about this, and I'm like, look at this fucking thing guy. I think he's better than me. <laughs> but I'm like, it's also... Check me out on social media. It's Captain Alexis, and you can see me kind of arsehole around uh, it's great Australia. Stuff. <laughs> or other things. Enjoying some octopus. No, yeah. Oh man, I, no, I love your I love your uh, little video, your video streams. Me too. Uh, you I like your walks. Sh short video. Yeah, yeah, your walks. Oh yeah, yeah, good photography. There's good, good musings. I was very jealous of your wife's uh, serving of mussels that that you that uh, you had at the restaurant. I saw that. That I'm like, oh man, I love mussels. Like, no, nah, I really hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that <Yeah>. muscle, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, so much crudite. <laughs> English bastard. <laughs> Shoving his muscles down our throat. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, if you'd like to support our show, we invite you to check out our Patreon page. There's many levels of support, some that we didn't even know existed that maybe we'll talk about in the next episode. But there's a, a wide variety of benefits. You can find us at patreon.com slash apoddecast or check out our store at autopoddecepticast.com slash store. And finally, you can buy us a drink. What's that all about, Ryan? Hey, uh, if you want to buy us a drink, uh, you can uh, buy us a drink. Uh, give $5 to our PayPal at ApodDcast. Uh, let me know what kind of drink you'd like to have on the show, why you like it, maybe a recipe. Do you want me to freewheel it? Do you want me to shout out your name? Anything else? And um, I will have that on the show. You can buy us a drink. And maybe in our next episode, we will feature a drink from this program with a special guest yet to be named who also was on this show. <laughs> if you want to dose the podcast then your credit don't stink, then reach inside your wallet now and find us a drink. There it is. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that happened. <laughs> I I have caught myself humming that throughout the house. I'm like, I'll be like, what is that? I'm like, da -na 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 I'm like, never mind. Don't 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 worry. About What's it. that catchy rack time tune? <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, feel free to give us a review. Stars, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can hook up with us virtually on the Patreon as well as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're not as good at keeping up as Mike Seibert is on all these platforms. Mostly Twitter. You'll find us at apoddcast. And uh, show notes, materials, autopoddecepticast.com. Thank you to Mike and Alexis. Thanks for being on, guys. This was Thanks. great. Appreciate it. Good Cheers, night. Guys. Absolutely. Bye. Make a choice. Bye, bye, bye. Oh, God. All right. Good we job, guys. Jesus. We made we it. We did Not, it. Hang on. 10, so, 11, 12, 1. Four hours. Four hours. Four hours. That's not a record. Part, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is the sponsor of Autopod Decepticast. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs>